okay, but we have a we have a live studio audience today. A live studio audience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, my girlfriend's here. Oh. What? Yeah. So she's gonna be sitting next to me in my podcast studio. She's uh, gotta be mad dedicated to sit there and listen to you uh, well, talk about the Panther. Oh no, she's got her headphones. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> she's she well she says she listens to the episodes. Does she? Does she know who I am? Do you do you actually listen to them? Do you listen to them all the way through? Oh yeah, she says she listens to them all the way through. I'm surprised she's still dating you since you've been savaged so many times by us. Yeah, well, I cut those parts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the CSR podcast. This is Brian. I'm joined by uh, John. Uh, Brad decided that he didn't feel like being on tonight, so it's just me and John bringing you the recap of the uh, week two highlights of the Bills and Panthers game. So, John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Bradley doesn't like any of you guys. That's why he didn't want to be here. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. He's a he's quite a salty man, let me say. But no, nah, I'm for real. He's great, but. Yeah, he doesn't hate you guys. He apparently just... not on Tuesday nights. So, <laughs> um, so John Panthers won nine to three in a really ugly game, which is you know pretty characteristic of the Carolina Panthers over the last several years. So, uh, I guess to throw a topic out there, um, what player? What player did you like or were impressed by the most? Oh man, there's just so many to name on both sides of the ball. I can't even I don't even know where to begin. Of course not. <laughs> I guess we'll have to start we'll have to look at the defense. Uh Julius Peppers probably. I would say. Because yeah. the yeah, two sacks, another tackle for loss. Looking at the box another two quarterback hits, I guess that might be the sacks. But yeah. Um looking like twenty seven year old Julius Peppers instead of thirty seven year old Julius Peppers, that's really exciting. Yeah, if someone had came to me and said that Peppers is going to lead the team in sacks after week two, I'd probably have laughed at him, but here we is he, are. Is he leading the team in sacks? Yeah, he's got two and a half. That's the most for the team. But that puts him on pace for what, 20? No. <laughs> theoretically, uh, <laughs> theoretically, yeah. Um, that'd be I great think, if he did, I think he but... can do it. And the, the funny thing that you met, the funny thing you brought up, Julius Peppers, he actually said that he feels like this is the best defense he's played on, which is really, really tall words. I mean, like the Panthers have had good defenses in his tenure here, so for them to for him to say this is the best defense that he's played on, yeah, wow, that's, that's high praise. Um, it's not like yeah, we've. I don't think he's been on a bad defense, at least not here. No, I, I mean, like, the worst the Green Bay defenses weren't great, but... The worst he may have dealt with was, like, the 2009 Panthers, but, yeah, he's had... He's been on some pretty good defenses, but 
I mean, six points allowed in two games. I don't care who you're playing against. Like a lot of the people around here that I talk to who know I'm a Panthers fan are like, oh, well, you guys had two bye weeks. I'm like, okay, like. It, those are still NFL teams. I mean, like yeah. Tyrod Taylor's an NFL quarterback. LaShawn McCoy's an NFL running back, and they held him to nine yards rushing. Like, that's not a small feat. I mean, well, the, there's a lot of good teams that have allowed McCoy to still do 100 yards rushing and score, and he just got shut down. He had like 120 last week. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm let me I'm looking up his stuff from last year. He was one of the I know he's since he's been there. He averaged he averaged five and a half yards a carry last year. Sean McCoy did. Yep. And he averaged like five. He did about the same thing last week, too. Um, and granted, I mean, it's, a, it's a small sample size, but the Bills were the best rushing attack after week one, and the Panthers made them look like the worst rushing attack after week two. Well, and, then even, well, and that's not even a fluke, because last year the Bills were the best rush, rushing team in the NFL, both in terms yep. of total yardage and in yards per attempt. And, yep. I mean... <laughs> To get less than one yard per carry, Mike Tolbert outrushed LaShawn McCoy in terms of yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, the linebacking core specifically is the thing I look at and say, wow, because, like, Thomas Davis is still playing at a really high level, which I kind of wasn't expecting because yeah, he's, was... you know, old. And uh, Luke Keekley is Luke Keekley. That doesn't surprise me at all. But then Shaq Thompson's been all over the place. Like first game, I remember seeing him come free on blitzes twice. Like that guy is starting to really understand the game. So front seven, you add Julius peppers and you keep it all the same. And suddenly it's, you know, a really good, a really, really good front seven. I think it's what's telling about how good the defense is, is that Luke Keekley is currently tied for second on the team in tackles. And our defense is still, amazing like he doesn't have to do everything like he said to do in the past mm-hmm. yeah i mean from top to bottom the defense has been playing well i mean the weak link i'd say is probably michael adams and even then he hasn't played that bad you know he hasn't i haven't noticed him at all which i think for his position is probably more good than bad like well kirk a, holman was flying around making tackles and stuff but yeah i think Coleman I played really well yeah, he's like the Luke Keekley of the secondary. He's been making tackles left and right, you know, open field, one-on-one. So, the, the, Mike, Mike, the, Mike Adams hasn't messed up yet. He hasn't made any egregious errors, which I think is... Right. Me, that's all we need from him because we have so much star power elsewhere. If, if he's just and, doing not badly, then we're fine. And granted, we're being pretty optimistic because, you know... That last play with uh, Zay Jones, where Bradbury stayed on this, the underneath route when he shouldn't have, yeah. that could have very easily been a score. And then we'd be having a whole different conversation about that. But a win's a win. So, you know. That was yeah. a total repeat of the last time we played the Bills. Exactly. Yeah. I was. I remember when, uh, after they kicked the field goal and Pan- the Panthers were up by six, I was like, oh, no. Because I just remembered the. Uh, EJ Manuel touchdown drive to win that game. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to happen again. And it, it's the exact same situation. We yep. kick a field goal instead of going for a touchdown. and Or we kick a field goal to make the opponent have to go for a touchdown. And so they do get the touchdown. And yep. I didn't, like, in the moment when we went to kick the field goal, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, kick the field goal. And then I thought about it for a second, like, wait, no. This is dumb. Because it's like, we're not going to lose regardless of what happens, but the only thing the only thing kicking a field goal does is make us win instead of tie. And with how well the team has been playing, tying, going into overtime, I'm fully confident the Panthers would have won that game if they got into overtime. 
So you really have anything to lose by going for the touchdown. Well, on top of that, like, they dominated the whole game. And, like, the one thing that was really underscored going into the game was the Bills' front seven. They have a they have a really good one. They do. Like, Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams is, like, that is probably the unit where I'd be like, I was would be most scared about Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner taking them on one-on-one because they have a very solid front seven with those two in the interior, and then they have a bunch of good, of decent linebackers. Plus, McDermott knows the offense. Like, I don't care what was said and, like, oh, we're going to change up our signals, blah, blah, blah. It's not like the offense is any different from when McDermott got here, aside from the wrinkle of Christian McCaffrey. Like, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he could throw at Cam Newton to cause problems. And it's possible that McDermott may have just thrown out there the game film on how to cause problems for the Panthers' offense. So hopefully they they shore those problems up. That brings me to one of my, my like main complaint my main complaints for the whole thing. Um, I saw that being used like people were saying that a lot like oh McDermott knows what we're doing so he's gonna have a big advantage of us. We also know how McDermott likes to play call his defenses and stuff and we literally we had no idea how to counter it or no preparation no preparation went into like actually preparing for it. Like right. we know Sean McDermott did that the whole time he was here showing those double A gap blitzes and then either dropping out like so you know the deep offensive line doesn't know who's coming. And we seem completely unprepared to handle that, which is really disappointing from a team that's been pretty disappointing on offense for what season plus now. Um, and I think if there is, I don't think the advantage of McDermott being familiar with us is as big as some people make it out to be. But if there is one place he would know, it's that he might know more than anybody else is that we are so predictable in important situations. Yep. It's first. My brother said, first play of the game, like when we got the ball, he said, you guys ready for this uh, John Stewart handoff up the middle for two yards? Exactly what happened. And you know that, like, if we see it, you know other coaches see it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, that actually brings me to a point. Um, Bill Voth pointed out on uh, the Panthers site that uh, the first week Julius Peppers is being used in goal line situations on offense. And all these fans are like, blah, 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 blah. You can't you can't be sharing our secrets, blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there like, you do realize that the All-22 film is something literally I can go watch. So, of course, the coaches can go see it. Like, yeah, What do you think so, the coaches do? Yeah, like, that, that was so stupid to me. Like, okay, you, you're worried because a Panthers beat writer is sharing secrets about the offense that can literally be seen by you or me. On the All-22 film. Like, was, was Peppers on the offense last week? What's that? Was Peppers on uh, the field? Was I don't think he was on the field for the uh, goal line offense, but granted they never made it to the goal line because Cam uh, Newton got sacked like six times. But, yeah. you know. Um, well, it's not like what are they going to do to prepare for that differently? Like, hey, guys, they put that big guy in on the, on offense. We have to completely switch up how we're going to call the play. I mean, they're not going to do anything differently if Peppers is out there or different tight ends out there. No, I mean, like, it's not like Pepper's going to run anything outside of the playbook. It's the same yeah. thing as preparing for Chris Manhurts to be out exactly. there as the as the guy. So Pepper's just happens to be a super athletic guy who runs like he's thir- like he's twenty five when he's thirty seven. But yeah. it's not like he's going to do anything crazy. So you know, I think that would be nice to see if we do something creative, like put Pepper's in on the goal line situation because. We're really good at not being creative on the goal line. Like that last, <laughs> that last 
field goal we kicked, where, like, the first down, it's like if we get the ball, if it's first and goal from inside the five, we're bringing out all the big guys we can fit on the field, and we're handing the ball to Stewart straight up the middle. If that doesn't work, we're going to do it exactly the exact same play a second time. And then if it doesn't work again, we might try something different. And it's just like, why why not occasionally throw in, like, a little, little play action or spread the defense out or just something different so opponents can't just tee off on that run of the middle. Like, you can just crash down and send everybody straight up the middle, like, straight at the middle of the field when we're in that situation because that's what we do almost every single time. Right. And the thing about the running game in the NFL is a lot of times NFL defenses know what's coming. Yeah. So it's a matter of, like, can you stop it? But I get where you're coming from. It would and be, the other... it's, it would just, it's more, like, I understand, as Tony Romo has shown, that a lot of times teams kind of see what's coming before the play starts. But you, like, put that little bit of doubt in the defense's minds. Like, hey, maybe we need to watch out in case a tight end leaks out. Maybe we need to, like, keep an eye on the fullback, not just, like, as soon as you see Cam turn his back, just go full, like, full board the running back, no no other account. You don't have to count for anything else. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. Um, I just, so, Oh, go ahead. Uh, it just like, like a lot of cams getting a lot of flack for that miss on McCaffrey, which was a bad play on his part. Obviously you gotta make that throw. But my thing was like, when it happened, I was like, why can't we just do that on first down? And then we had two more shots to do something else. Like that was the most, that was the closest, play to six closest successful play we had out of the three we ran on that last goal line attempt. Yeah. It was just well, you know, nice. it's, it, it's difficult because you have to trust in your offensive line. The Panthers definitely do that despite doubts at certain positions, <laughs> they, they, not they naming anybody specifically, but they yeah. definitely earned it yesterday or Sunday. Yeah. They really earned that trust. And that's one of the other things I think I've complained about it before. You know, not adjusting, being not being malleable to how things are going. If the offensive line is getting abused frequently, maybe acknowledge that and try to change things up a little bit. And not just like, I hey, will still do the same seven-step drops with no help to Matt Khalil. Oh, my name names him. Yeah. So, funny thing, last week we were lamenting the Panthers' clock management on offensive drives and sure enough they had like three or four different penalties for yeah. uh either three or four penalties or like timeouts called all because they couldn't snap the ball fast enough and that's just that is a huge head scratcher like what is going on How, watch yeah because like it's not like cam newton's a rookie like it's not like he's jimmy clausen playing his first game you know like he's yeah. a multi-year veteran but the offense isn't getting up to the line fast enough to get the ball out or to get the snap done. And you were at home too, which is even the more frustrating part is because they don't have to deal with the, like the yeah. crowd and like the heart, the like silent counts or anything like that. And they still managed to <laughs> not get the playoff in time to snap the ball. And that was just super frustrating. I know you brought that up specifically last week. So uh, what are well, your thoughts on that? Still, I still hate it. Um, so well, I was, obviously, I paid, yeah. I paid attention to. I didn't. I thought about it during the Falcons game because I was wondering if, like, hey, you know, maybe we're just kind of slow getting back to the huddle, and that's just an offensive, you know, urgency problem, not much a Mike Shul problem. And I'm watching the Falcons game at one point, and I can't remember. It was a, a pretty big play, or and they went, and they didn't even get into the huddle until there was like 25 seconds on the play clock, and they broke the huddle with like 17 seconds on the play clock. And I'm like, whoa. 
Well, then our problems, because we get, I watched the Panthers a couple times because I was paying attention to when we got in the huddle. We were getting into the huddle with 25 to 30 seconds on the play clock and still breaking it with like 11 or 12. And as yeah. I don't know what they're talking about that whole time. And I picture it because, you know, Mike Shula kind of wears his library glasses and stuff up there in the booth. <laughs> I just picture him like, all right, how about this time we run a – actually, no, I'm not going to run that one. We'll run – how about we run we'll, – let's do this play. And I just, like, picture him, like, thinking out loud every time Cam's sitting in there waiting for a call. And then we break the huddle with four seconds left and have to sprint to the line and snap it right away. <laughs> and, you know, it seemed like Cam was complaining early on about his headset. Um, I don't know how many times you – Notice, but early on in the game, he kept I running over the sideline and complaining about something with his helmet, which I can't imagine that doesn't fit well. So, you know, it's... I've, I've seen him do that a lot, though, and I don't know if it's him saying, like, the headset's not working right, or if he's just saying, like, I'm not getting the calls in. Yeah. Because I've seen, I've seen, I feel like it's an almost a weekly thing where we see him call a timeout, and they show Cam going to the sideline, and he's pointing to his helmet, and he's he looks frustrated. Yeah, and, like, that's not, like, obviously the Panthers essentially had a bye week against the Niners, and uh, the Bills was uh, a little bit more of an effort, but yeah, that can't happen throughout the rest of the season no. against, like, the better teams. Like, the Falcon, a, a, a team like the Falcons is going to really mess the Panthers up if they continue to have these issues, so you got to figure, like, they got to have a plan ready for that. Well, like, if we're getting, we're worse about it in the first half, like, we're basically wiping a potential drive off the board where we might get the ball back with a minute left on the clock, but if we have no timeouts because we burnt them all because we couldn't get plays in on time, that's that's we're taking our own possession away. That's one less chance for us to score. That doesn't matter as much when we're playing teams like San Francisco and Buffalo that can't score. But if we're playing yeah. New Orleans or New England or Atlanta or whatever, like we need every drive we can. We need every tri- opportunity to score we can get. Yep. So, uh... Speaking of the offense, and I think this will be the last point that I'm going to get into here, and then obviously we can go on to whatever you may want to talk about. But uh, Greg Olson broke his foot. Uh, Very bad thing. Very bad thing. And he's going to be back in roughly eight weeks. But between now and then, Carolina now no longer has that guy where it's like, okay, third third and five, third and seven. You can count on him to get open, catch the ball, get the first down. Yeah. How 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 big do you see that impact being not having him around? Well, and first who of do you all, think is going to replace him? First of all, I'm sad that he's not going to be able to defend his one thousand or you know extend his one thousand yard season streak. Um, unless you know, I still would like to see like week seventeen if we're like locked into our playoff seed, just Cam throw the ball to Greg fifty times in a game, just try to get it. <laughs> yeah. Cam's gonna Cam's gonna finish week seventeen like. 18 for 54, but Gray's going to have 18 catches for 460 yards. Right. Um, but I don't really know. That's I'm kind of interested because I have no idea how we're going to handle it. Because I don't think, like, Ed Dixon's not a plug-and-play in that spot. Like, he's just going to drop all the balls we throw to him. And so it's going to have to come from somewhere else either, which is, I think, ben, I don't imagine Benjamin getting a whole lot more looks because he's already kind of the, the, the top dog there. So I think it's going to come down to like McCaffrey and maybe Funches to kind of take those over the those looks over the middle of the field, and I would I'll be interested to see how we approach that. Yeah, I was actually going to say that too. I think Funches is going to be the uh, the new 
X factor there because he had quite a game on Sunday after Olsen had like one or two receptions and hardly any yards. Like he was doing a great job of getting open for the intermediate routes. And I think that now that Olsen's no longer part of the read that Funches will be a little bit higher on the priority list as far as the reads go. So I think that Funches is going to be a little more involved and he's, you know, yeah, he showed I, us a lot with that. And Ed Dixon has been wide open twice over the last two weeks for touchdown passes. And like Brandon, like you said, he might drop it, but we saw that last year. He dropped a wide open touchdown pass. But Wait, to be you, that you, open, I, that I, I, I have me, a theory. I'm sorry. I have a theory. I just thought ahead. of this. Cam is purposely missing Dixon on those throws because he's he doesn't want those teammates on the bus. Cam's making the mistakes before Ed can make it. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's, it's, no, that's true. It's correct. All right. It's definitely true. 100% true. But yeah, I was just saying like Dixon was wide open twice over the last two weeks for touchdown passes and Cam just flat out missed him. Like it wasn't like it was, they may like the second one may have been a catchable pass, but like, yeah, we know Cam, he can make, he can make those throws into your bread basket and it's not a big deal. So I think that having that time to throw those because essentially what I, the way I look at the last two games is that they were both preseason games. They counted, but for Cam Newton, yeah, exactly. For Cam Newton, they were just preseason games. They didn't matter. They were letting him work out his kinks, get the reps in. So like coming up against new Orleans, that's the most important game Carolina has played over the last three weeks. So now hopefully he can, you know, return to his regular form on all snaps. It's not like he's been off every time he throws the ball. It's just been off at I, times where yeah, it's I'll, like you can score a touchdown pretty easily, <laughs> but Cam overthrows the guy 15 yards. So I think I thought for the most part on Sunday he looked pretty good. Um, he the, I it's easy to remember the bad throw to McCaffrey and the bad throw to Dixon and think he you know he's still off. He's something not right. He's just inaccurate. But for the most part, he was throwing some darts. There's a couple that, I mean, he was a little high, like guys have to go get a little bit. But he was worlds better than he was against San Francisco. And, exactly. Yeah. And then I, I can't imagine it getting any worse. Like, I can only see it going up from here with New Orleans next. Yeah, especially against that uh, not-so-good defense. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk too much about New Orleans because we got to save that for our, our later episode. But I, I think that's a great game for... We talked about it, like the schedule kind of gradually gears up. Like we have the 49ers who look like they're going to be one of the worst teams. They're one of two teams that hasn't scored a touchdown yet. And then we have Buffalo who's a slight step up, but not still not too tough. And then we go to New Orleans who looks like, all right, this is a good chance for the offense to get in the groove now that, you know, that the right. is clicking. And then we go out in New England, which might be the toughest game of the season. So. And the best part is you beat the Saints at home, and that's a big motivator because that's yeah. your first divisional game. You know, you go one and zero in the division. That's that's solid. You know, and especially going into the Patriots game, like the Panthers need as much momentum as they can get because this team is a emotional momentum style team. Like they're not a team where it's like, oh, they lose twenty eight to nothing next week. They'll come out and win thirty four to seven. Like they they need to be in an emotional high. Like we saw that in twenty fifteen. They ran the table because they're they were just successful. They were steamrolling teams. So. Yeah, I agree. And you brought up a good point there, John, by the way. And for this is for all of our listeners. Um, of course you did. Um, so on later this week, we're going to have a member of the Canal Street Chronicles 
uh, coming on here to talk about the Saints and the Panthers with me, with me, John, and uh, hopefully BW if you know he feels, feels like being like on that. here. So, um, so <laughs> definitely tune in for that. Um, It'll be on Friday. You'll listen to it on Friday when we post Most the uh, when we post the link to this podcast. We're gonna include some. We're gonna include just you know a little. A little ask for questions type deal. So if you have any questions for the Saints guy, he's coming on, and I thank him for that, even though he's a Saints fan. Um, make sure to include any questions you have in the comments or on Twitter, and we'll definitely try to get those over to him. So It'll be so much fun, a little fan interaction. Yeah. We always love fan engagement since it's just me me and you talking to Brad all, all the time. Like, you, get, you know. Need some, it gets some boring reason. after a while. Yeah. I mean, like Brad's hot takes are a little bit much sometimes. So you know, got to go to the to the, the Twitter world, the Twitterverse for some reason and logic. <laughs> oh, because that's where it's all. That's it's all where it, yeah. that's where it resides. Yes. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Oh, uh, one more thing I want to say about the tight end stuff. We saw it a go lot. Ahead. We saw it a lot when uh, uh, Kelvin Benjamin was fat in the summer, and it's coming back up now that Greg's hurt. And I see people suggesting, like, well, can we make Devin Funches or Kelvin Benjamin tight ends? Ugh. I know. That's how I feel, too. I don't – there's a couple things with that. One, it's not as easy as just, like, going into Madden and editing position and saying, now you're a tight end and now your overall rating changes. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, there's a lot of routes that – Kelvin Benjamin and Devin have no idea what the tight ends are going to be doing on a given place. They have no reason to learn what Greg Olson's routes are supposed to be. That's a whole new playbook they have to learn. And – like, they can't block. They're not inline players. And then if you say, well, then they'll just be like Greg Olson when he's in the slot. Like, they do that already. Like, that's not right. getting, like, Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches both line up in the slot from time to time anyway. So, like, calling the tight end does nothing. And on that same note, the other thing that I see that's weird is that people want to make our wide receivers tight ends. And I don't know if it's the same people, but there's also a subset of fans that want that don't want our tight ends playing fullback. Which is weird to me that, like, wide receivers can just... Like, now they're a tight end, but if a tight end lines up in the backfield, it's a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. He's not a true fullback. Like, he's, like, a different yeah. species of human being. Like, oh, he doesn't know how to <laughs> fullback. He's a yeah. tight end. Yeah. Now, I mean, we've seen Benjamin and Funches both excel in the slot when they've had the chances. So yeah, it's the same thing. Essentially, as... like, you can, you can make that substitution in a sense with having one of those two guys in the slot because, I mean, Olsen lines up you know, at least half the time in the slot as a, or out wide. Like, it's not like he only lines up in line, but as far as in line tight ends go, those two guys are not built for that. They're not ready for that. No yeah. reason to be putting them there. Just line them up in the slot, run the same concept with Greg Olson, put an in line tight end like Ed Dixon exactly. or Manhurts or even Arma. Like, those guys are built for that. They're ready for that. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to block. So, yeah, use, I agree. Use Dixon for the the Greg Olson inline stuff where he's on the end of the line and you, you give the receiving Olson like when Olson lies out of the slot, instead of just using Dixon there, you just put Benjamin or Funchess or. Yeah. You're essentially splitting the responsibility the with uh, the, re- you're essentially splitting the responsibilities that Olson yes. had between receivers and a tight end who can block. So yeah, I totally agree. So that was, that was the thing I've seen uh, in both. I don't think I saw it too much on CSR. I saw it in some of like Bill Bo's, like tweet, like Twitter replies when he asked for some questions and stuff. And people were saying like, "Well, could Devin Funches play tight end? He played tight end in college." It's like, "Well, if I was gonna be a tight end, he'd be a tight end." Like, it's not a right. 
it's it, there's a reason he's a wide receiver now. He's, there's a reason why they didn't allow him to be fat and continue to play and play tight end instead. So yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I have seen is, all right, I'll ask you a question. Are you ready to pull the plug on Christian McCaffrey? You gonna give up on him? Is he a bust? Cut him? Trade him? Uh, yeah, Kill definitely. Him? You should trade him. Trade him out. Get get like a get a quarterback who can play better than Cam Newton since Cam Newton's ruined for the rest of his career. That's what I think. No, I but just, no, McCa- Yeah, it's the, it's the classic like early weeks skepticism of the fans, but McCaffrey's been exactly what we thought he would be in. Week one was more centered around him, where obviously week two wasn't. So, well, and I, San Francisco and Buffalo aren't good teams, but their defenses are good. And I know obviously the sample size is small, but like San Francisco went to Seattle, whose offense is also bad, but Seattle scored twelve points at home against San Francisco. So they're they're not they don't look at least yet at this point in the season they're not a slouch on defense. Buffalo. Is is in the same boat. They they had a very good first week. Granted, it's against the Jets, but their defense looks stout. It's let's if if Christian McCaffrey can't get anything going in the next two weeks against New Orleans and New England, then I could understand maybe starting to have a little like the seeds of skepticism can be planted, but not. I wouldn't go full bore like all right, he's bad. Dude. Let's yeah. Time to time to time to start filling out the paperwork that he's officially a bust. You have to understand, too, McCaffrey was used to being the most athletic guy on the field most yes. of the time in college. Like, he could juke out three guys and go for a touchdown, where in the NFL it's just not going to happen. Like and we're you can seeing, see that. We see the plays where it's like he jukes out a couple guys, gets 10 yards, and it's like, that's a, gro- that's a good play, but it's not what you're used to from seeing him in college. So I agree. You know, like, it's you're going to see a more limited impact from him when a team schemes to make sure he's not an option. And, the Niners definitely did that, and the Bills definitely did that, too. The Bills essentially made Carolina win off of Cam Newton's arm, which, thankfully, their defense rose to the occasion. But, yeah. you I know. Just, I think the thing we see with McCaffrey is, like you said, he's used to being the most athletic guy on the field. And he's he's been dancing a little too much, but I don't think that's something that's going to be a trend for him forever. I think he's still kind of finding his way, like, seeing, like, all right, this is how I have to attack these, <coughs> these openings because – they aren't there for as long as in college. Like I can't, I can't juke out a guy and, and stay stationary and then and wait to turn on the jets. Like I have to just get it and go. And he was a little better about that Sunday, I think. And I think we'll see more of it as it goes forward. But he'll be a little more decisive, basically. I mean, he just not. He, he hasn't been decisive enough yet. That's all it is. And you have to remember too, like McCaffrey was the centerpiece of that offense in Stanford. He was the offense. Where in Carolina, he's not the centerpiece of the offense. Cam Newton is. And we even saw it with Cam Newton's first couple years, too. Like, he was used to being the guy who made the play no matter what. Where now, like, over the last few years, we've seen Cam Newton not being that guy. Like, he doesn't have to make the play every play. He can be. So it just takes some time. Yeah, he can. He doesn't have to. He has. He doesn't have to get that first down on third and nine himself, which is something where we saw that in his first two years, where it's like, oh, I have to make this play, but now he's more acclimated to the idea of, like, this is a team game, especially in the NFL with all these elite athletes. I have to do what – I have to find the guy who has the best opportunity to get there. So, yeah, no, I agree, and I think McCaffrey will grow into being more of a weapon rather than the centerpiece. So, yeah. Yeah, he's too good at everything to not be a super successful player. It's been two weeks. It's been pretty tough competition. I think he'll, he'll be fine. 
Yep. I mean, look at that 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 catch he made on Sunday where he went up and high pointed like right over the guys. He he, he mossed a guy. Our five ten, yep. our five ten running back like mossed a guy. Like that's you don't ever see running backs make that catch. Like there's no, you don't. You there's really a lot. Don't. There's a there's still a lot there. Like he's still the same player that everybody was excited about in the preseason. So yep. We'll I'm and I don't doubt that we'll see it soon. Yep. No, I agree. Well, John, you got anything else for us tonight? Anything uh, else you want to bring yeah, up? Yeah, this is just a little PSA. Nothing to do with the Panthers. Um, oh, Jesus. Here we go. If you've ever gotten mad at your fantasy team and tweeted at a player for not getting enough fantasy points, please <laughs> tell two of your friends to listen to this podcast and then never listen to this podcast anymore. Like, I, I don't – I hate seeing stories from people, like, tweeting at guys for getting hurt. Like there is, I'm sure you saw it. Uh, people were tweeting at the wrong Brandon Marshall because Giants Brandon Marshall was not playing well. Like, don't do that. It's childish. Fantasy football is not all about is not all your life. And as much as I hate Odell Beckham sometimes with his stupid decisions, his tweet about his tweet about him being healthy and you know f your yeah. fantasy teams was totally justified. So but, yeah, yeah I agree. Blunt said the same thing. Like. They, that's their job. I don't. I wouldn't be sitting at my job. That's their livelihood. Working, yeah, I'm not like working on computers at work, having people tweeting at me like, "Hey man, I need you to get that up and running faster. You're killing my fantasy IT team." <laughs> I don't want that. Nope. None of us do. So yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't be a dick. Is basically what John's a, saying. Don't be an internet dick. Yep. For any reason, you're not cool if you do that. <laughs> well if that's all you got for us that's John, all i got um thank you for joining the csr podcast and we will be back with you here in a few days along with the special two week episode or two episode week uh actually it shouldn't be special anymore because uh we're gonna try and uh throw out a podcast after the games every every week we'll see if uh bw is up to it um but yeah join <laughs> it us, all everything join hinges us. on bradley's mood on brad's mood yep on how he feels, but yeah, join us in a few days for the uh, podcast, looking up the saints game. And uh, as John said, some parting words, don't be an internet dick. You guys have a good night.
there's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.